Uh, Hello. So, no, we're we doing spoke great over already. each other straight away. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Should we introduce ourselves to these lovely people? Yes. Um, my, my name is, is Joe Wells. I'm an autistic comedian from the UK. My name is Abigail Shaman. I have ADHD and I'm American, but I am also a comedian who lives in the UK. And this is our first ever episode of Neurodivergent Moments. And this is our second time recording our first episode. <laughs> we had some weird robot voice in the, in the first one. I think we were hacked. Yeah, I think uh, we're, we're doing these over Zoom. So we're trying to figure out the technical issues of it. And we're also trying to figure out after so many, what is it, two years on Zoom, still trying to figure out how to act natural on a Zoom call. I, yeah, I, I still ha I still haven't got it because I, I was um, I'm now a full time comedian, but I I, w I had the full um, during lockdown day job um, Zoom calls, which were um, were do you, you you managed to stay stay comedian during lockdown? Did you? Or did yeah, you I didn't I didn't shift over. Um, oh my god, I didn't know you went through that. I'm so sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> I tell you what, there's so many things which came out of which just I don't know whether this is this is a neurodivergent thing but I I think it's partly a comedian thing is I hate um like little funny things that um non-comedians say um or li little like terms so the term legacy hand came up during zoom meetings where people go is that a legacy hand here's well, here's a quiz what do you think a legacy hand is I was gonna say I don't even know what that means a legacy hand uh is it a uh is it uh, what is the legacy it's something someone leaves behind so is it a is it a small bit of the past uh the past <laughs> company uh living on through through the uh th through the medium of of remote working that's that's so poetic i wish it was that <laughs> it's not it's where you do the raise hand button and you leave it on I don't even know what that button is. Do you know it's a raise hand button? I'll raise There's... my hand to you. What? You can you can do this. Look. What? Where do I do? I want to raise my hand. It's in reactions. 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 Oh, there we go. Here we go. Look. Thumbs up. Oh my <laughs> god, my life just changed. Oh my god, that's the saddest thing ever. What? So if you're in a meeting, you could put your hand up, and yeah. So then, if someone had had their hand up from a previous question or point in a meeting, then the the chair of the meeting might say, "Is that is that a legacy hand, or do you have a new question?" So that's I my feel, lockdown. I feel like that's really shady. Like it's like we've moved on, but do you still need to talk, Brad? <laughs> what it, I think what I worked in. Uh, I don't want to give too much information away. But uh, just in case I have to go back to that job, um, depending on how the podcast goes, uh, <laughs> I I worked in the sort of charity voluntary sector, but linking with the public sector. So they they love a new a new piece of jargon. So when Zoom came in, they were like, right, let's get our let's start writing the new dictionary for words that we can use in Zoom meetings that normal people won't understand. I I love how uh, things have just become more and more coded as we've gone to online communication it's just like you know lol is a thing of a past now it's all done in emojis now it's a different world there's a whole different vocabulary i don't really oh, know because you, you're on tiktok aren't you yes did you know that the the the, the young people <laughs> that they don't when something's funny they don't do the crying with laughter emoji they write dead um, which means like I've died from so funny that I've died and I'm writing yeah. that I'm dead. Um, I didn't I didn't know that. So when I had some videos do well, I've got all these people just writing dead underneath my <laughs> TikTok. Genuinely terrifying. And you, God bless you. You think you're being trolled. Yeah. You're like, gosh, everyone said TikTok was such a lovely, inclusive place, but people are really mean to me. Just getting and death They're all, all laughing. <laughs> They're not even threatening you. They're just proclaiming that you are no longer on this mortal coil. <laughs> <laughs> just watch your video and they're like, dead, off. Yeah, the and the skull. The skull also. Yeah, the, the skull. Thing. 
That is scary. The TikTok is a, a frightening place. I, I still haven't got used to the people on that. But you're doing well on there. You're thriving, mate. I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting, getting good numbers, but I'm getting some... Uh, uh, I had this the other day. Um, I might take this out because it's about another comedian. But um, someone posted underneath my a TikTok video, you... Is this a compliment or not? They wrote, you are the comedian who Ricky Gervais thinks he is. I didn't know what to make of that. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that's a compliment because Ricky Gervais is a wonderful script writer. Uh, say what you want about him personally. He's a wonderful script writer. He made The Office. It's beautiful. He made Afterlife. Beautiful. He made Derek questionable he's made <laughs> wonderful things he is however a very mediocre stand-up comedian and you can leave that in we're dropping truth bombs dear ricky gervais if you'd like to come on the podcast we'd love to have you at any moment <laughs> <laughs> and can i be in afterlife series four please <laughs> yes yes i would love to um no i think that is a compliment though i think that's totally a compliment 100%. Yeah, it's like it's like a back. What people talk about backhanded compliments. That's like a backhanded insult, isn't it? <laughs> well, I always find it so interesting when people try to like relate to you as a stand-up comedian by putting down other comedians. So yeah, as and then eventually, kids will get to talking about neurodivergency, but uh, <laughs> specifically, like as a lady, I get a lot of. Um, oh, I think you're funny and I usually don't find women funny. And, or they'll specifically name a female comedian that they're like, you're so funny, this comedian sucks. And I'm like, they're my friend. Like, I yeah, we know like, these people, yeah, that's we, the thing I've... I've... I'm sorry, I have to, again, you can edit this out if you need to, <laughs> Joe, but I have to share this with you because I was so proud of myself after I got this message from this woman and I sat on it for a couple days because I get messages like this so much. I was like, I'm not even going to respond. And then I found the perfect response and I'm so proud of myself. And she meant well. This this woman, she was trying to be nice. She wrote, new fangirl here. Uh, smiley emoji face millennial uh i'm i must admit i'm a bit of a hard nut to crack when it comes to female comedians but i because i feel they often whinge about babies and stuff but i was genuinely so impressed by your set tonight it was so on point witty downright hilarious you held the room well so well despite being up first strong hand emoji and obviously the pvc yellow skirt blue hair combo was divine it was pvc trousers in a yellow blazer thank you very much uh <laughs> thank you for making me laugh i expect to see you on my tv by christmas lots of love but it's the fact that it's like most female comedians whinge about their babies that really just stuck in my crawl. So I couldn't mm. handle, I couldn't take the compliment. So this is what I wrote back. Hi, I'm glad you like the show. I, however, disagree with you about my friends and colleagues whinging about babies. But at the same time, as a childless person myself, I can understand how you might want entertainment that reflects your own lifestyle. Here's a list of comics who don't have children, so I know for a fact they never talk about babies. Desiree Birch, Beck Hill, Angela Barnes, Sophie Ducker, Sarah Keyworth, Helen Bauer, Zoe Lyons, Sarah Pattison, Jade Adams, Maisie Adams, uh, Rose Montefeo, Fern Brady, Carrie Pritchard McLean, and Rosie Jones. The list goes on, but I have to start work. Oh, and also, if you hate it when people whinge about their kids, avoid these comics, as I know for a fact they talk about their children. Personally, I find them funny, but to each their own. Ed Bird, Jim Gaffigan, Ramesh Reganathan, <laughs> Namil Abu, Rashid, Jason Manford, Marcus Brickstock, Mike Berpiglia, Phil Jupitus, Dara O'Brien, Dylan Moran, Jack D, Patton Oswalt, Frankie Boyle, and Michael McIntyre. <laughs> Boom. That's a mic drop at the end. Did she reply? She just liked it. She just did oh, the little God. tab thing. I think I, <laughs> I think I made my point. <laughs> I think she was like, I see what you did there. 
That's I've never heard about what, what the female corpse whinging about their own their own children. Oh was god. The yeah, I mean, we get we're told that we talk too much about our children, uh we talk too much about periods. Uh sometimes it's just like, oh, they just do rude comedy, which I do, by the way, for those of you listening, I do talk about the sex because I am an adult. But that is, that is funny, isn't it? Sex. Like, rude things are funny. Yeah, yeah. But then again, like, a, a male comic will get up and talk about their dating life, and that's fine. But it, it's, I mean, it it's misogyny is what it is. It's misogyny, and it's almost, funnily enough, probably because I uh, don't talk to a lot of men after my shows. It's always women who come up to me afterwards and tell me they think I'm funny, but don't find other women funny. And I'm so sad that all the female friends they have are dullards who have no <laughs> sense of humor whatsoever. You're that, but that's the, the credit to you. You're such a good comedian. You can break through people's misogyny. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, I usually hate women, but you, you've changed my mind on that. <laughs> now I like one woman. I like <laughs> one woman. <laughs> we haven't talked about neurodiversity at all. We've been, sorry, yeah, but there's going to be a, uh, there's going to be divergent divergences in well, every sense. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let, let's bring this up as someone with ADHD. Since we sat down to talk specifically about neurodivergency, of course, all I want to talk about is anything else. That's how my brain works. <laughs> but yeah, so we've started this podcast, Neurodivergent Moments, where we'll be talking to other creative people. Um, it won't be just me and Joe every time. This is just our kind of way of introducing ourselves to you guys. And uh, we'll be talking about all different types of neurodivergencies. Yeah, who have we got? We, we, we've, we've already recorded with Rufus Hound. That was fantastic. Yeah, we recorded with Rufus Hound. That was wonderful. Uh, we're recording with Tom Horton later today, another great comedian. Angela Barnes, we have in. Uh, Luke Poulton of TikTok fame is uh, booked in. And uh, Rialina, we're going to get a date for her as well. And I think, do we have Sarah Gibbs as well? I yes. think that we've confirmed the date with her, yes. Yes, we have. We've, we have we got Sarah Gibbs coming in. We I think got we, off. we pretty much have our dream. When we met about this, we were sort of saying, who do we want? We've pretty much got our dream dream lineup for the, the opening. So I'm very excited yeah. about who we've got. Yeah, we have enough people who are, are well, I'll just say it, bigger names than us. So people will come <laughs> and listen to our podcast. <laughs> We just wanted to come on here in this first podcast and kind of introduce ourselves. So I think we've talked enough about the fact that, you know, Joe and I are stand-up comedians. We're creative people. And why don't we talk a little bit about our... Uh, our origin stories. Our origin stories. Yeah. As neurodivergent people, do you want to talk about finding out that you were autistic? My, mine's a complicated one because five years ago, I got a lift with my mum uh she as i was getting out of the car she says to me oh i've told you before haven't i that you're autistic and i said no you haven't told me that before this is this is new information that i'm just hearing now as a 30 year old man um and she was like yeah yeah we've we, we've always known since you were a child and i was like well, why am i just finding out about this she had a good comeback. She said, well, why did you think that I used to run that support group for parents of autistic children? So I said, good, good point. That is a good point, Mum, that you used to do that. We used to go to this group. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I'd, it always been referred to sort of euphemistic way. But obviously, to some extent, being autistic, I didn't really pick up on the uh, the subtext of what was being said. So I was like, oh, yeah, she just says that I'm wired differently. I don't really know what that means, but it doesn't doesn't affect me. It's not what I'm interested in. Um, so, yeah, I so I was, as a teenager... Um, I was going through mental health services, a very severe obsessive compulsive disorder by my book, Touch and Go Joe, about those experiences. Um, and when I was going through that process, I it was suggested that I maybe put forward for a diagnosis of what would, what would have been Asperger's at the time. Um, I didn't go forward with that diagnosis. I don't remember it being discussed. My parents said that I didn't want that diagnosis. I, I think that's possible even though i don't remember i don't think Sorry, i would have wanted to just back up how old were you at the time of the asperger's 
possible diagnosis? So I would have been sort of 12, 13. Okay. Um, you know, and we're talking like the early noughties as well. So the, you know, around the time that neurodiversity as a term was being coined, a time where to some extent, yes, there were, there were, if you do the research, there were lots of people going against this narrative. But to some extent, the only narrative around autism was it's a thing that you've got wrong with you. Um, and that was all that was on offer then. So I think that I don't remember it being discussed, but I believe that I wouldn't have wanted that diagnosis. Um, and uh, I feel very differently about that now. Um, but that I feel differently because of because of the neurodiversity movement, to some extent, you know, because um, I've read um, some writers who I'll probably talk about a lot on the podcast, people like Donna Williams and Jim Sterling, who wrote about um, how uh, difference is good and, and you know, the benefits of being different to other people. So, so yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't want that diagnosis as a teenager. My parents didn't want it either. Um, as an adult, I sought out that diagnosis. I got put on a year-long waiting list and had the assessment as an adult. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's similar for you. It, it explains a lot of your life, doesn't it? And it's a, it's a strange process to go through and you end up looking back on everything and going, oh yeah, that's it's like you've got the key to everything in your, um, you know, like, like a sort of glossary of terms for your whole childhood and your whole early life. Where you go, oh yeah, all those things make com- complete sense. Um, so yeah, what what's your origin story? You 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 have an ADHD diagnosis. Yes, and uh, like you, it's like once you get it, you look back and you're like, oh, that's why that was a thing that I had or struggled with or couldn't wrap my head around or why people thought I was a bit strange because of X, Y, or Z. So actually, Joe, it's funny because my story is not too dissimilar from yours and the fact that I like that your mom used to call you uh wired differently my mom always used to say I think sideways oh that's a lovely term yeah she because I mean this is a bit dark but my mother's mother so my grandmother died when very tragically when my mom was in her early 20s she got hit by a car and um so growing up, I always heard about my grandma, but I never met her. And I remember at a very young age being like, uh, mom, do you think do you think your mom would have liked me? And my mom would be like, yeah, I think she would have loved you. She, you two are a lot alike. You both think sideways. And now in my head, I'm like, oh, Grandma Kramer probably also had ADHD. But anyway, that had nothing to do with my origin story. That's just a sad story about my mom's life. <laughs> uh, I realized I, I jumped in and said, I like, do, how do you feel about the term? Because I think terms oh, that I get, I, I think sideways I like. I loved it. I always have loved it. And I've always like kind of clung to the like, I do think sideways. Like as a kid, I was like, I'm. I'm special, but I never knew like why, or I'm special, or I'm different. And uh, um, I always thought it was because I was supposed to be a star. It turns out it's because I have ADHD. (laughs) Um, But when I was young, I had a little trouble in school. My dad thought I might have some sort of learning disability. And so my parents took me to go see the shrink and, uh, I don't know if you guys call them shrinks over here. It's that's an American term for like. A I think we're aware. I, I should say so. Learning. We say learning dis. When you say learning disability in the American sense, you mean what we would call learning difficulty in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe that's not a, even a term we use anymore. Learning disability. Um, it was, it's super confusing because learning. So what Americans call intellectual disability, Mm -hmm. we would call learning disability. And Mm -hmm. what we would call learning difficulty, Americans call learning disability. So there's like one term that means slightly different things. um, I love that you know all this terminology, which we will have to get to later on in the podcast after I tell my origin story. But I promise you that... If our podcast gets dragged through the internet for one of us saying the wrong term, it will <laughs> be gonna me. It's going to be you. <laughs> it will be me. And uh, and I want to apologize in advance uh, because I'm just an unlearned human. Uh, <laughs> and I want to apologize for not speaking out against Abigail's <laughs> hateful words. <laughs> I should anyway. have done more. <laughs> we got two episodes in and then she had to leave the internet forever. <laughs> 
but basically, I had a little trouble in school with reading and writing and stuff. And so they thought something was going on. They didn't know. They thought maybe it was dyslexia. They didn't know. They sent me to a uh, psychologist or psychiatrist. I don't really know. And uh, I got to do all these tests. And I say I got to do because for me, it was the most fun. I got to go in. I got to put together puzzles. And at the end, I got to pick out a little toy from the toy box. Like, you know, like a ring or like a, you know, cheap little plastic thing that uh, sometimes uh, doctors who work with children have to incentivize children. And um, I found that... uh, medical report later after my father passed away he had it on file and i completely forgot that i had done this and it turns out that's when i found out what all that was that they they were trying to figure out if um i had learning difficulties and the doctor's summation was that uh my iq was a little low but overall i was fine i was just a bit slow and I kind of took that on as a personality trait for a long time that I was just, um, I was just a bit slow. I'm just kind of slow. takes me a little longer to get things. I'm just a bit slow. And over lockdown, like many people, my, uh, boyfriend started doing some reading about neurodivergencies and thinking about his own life and came to the conclusion that he was autistic. And he went and talked to a doctor about it. And the doctor confirmed that he was autistic. And when Tom found out, that's my boyfriend's name, by the way, for those listening at home, he was like, I think you might have ADHD. And I was like, well, no, I don't because I was tested for all that as a child. So I definitely don't have it, which by the way, I don't know if that's exactly what they were looking for. I just assumed it. And, and Tom and I had this like huge fight about it which I don't think is really supposed to happen. But I was like so adamant that I didn't have it. I was like, no, there's nothing. I just, I have trouble functioning, but I just, I'm a person who has trouble functioning. There's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I'm just a bit slow. That's I'm I'm slow. I can't help it. I'm just slow. And Tom was like, finally, he was like, what are you going to do? You're, you're living your life right now in a way that you that you can't maintain you have these huge days where you shut down and you can't function at all are you going to wait another 10 years are you going to wait till you're 45 are you going to wait till you're just go to the doctor have the conversation and then you know and so i begrudgingly booked an appointment and um for those of you who are listening at home by the way and are wondering how i was able to just book an appointment like that I did go private. I didn't do this on the NHS. There's a huge waiting list for the NHS. I did go to um, a uh, a private clinic. And it turns out that, yes, in fact, I do have ADHD. And uh, my boyfriend was right. And the doctor years ago was very wrong. And it's just so interesting because, like you said, going back, it's, it's answered so many questions. And because I am a human who didn't think they had it when I went in for the diagnosis like I told the doctor I was like I don't know if I have it or not and at the end of this I'm perfectly fine if I don't have it I'm perfectly fine if I do have it and after we did all the the questions he was like you definitely have it and and it was just so interesting to be like oh oh I'm not slow I just I just process things differently, you know, and I, and, um, it takes me a little while to do things because it's not that I'm, I always thought I wasn't easily distracted and people who have ADHD knows, know this because I can focus really well on things I love. I can focus incredibly well on comedy. I can focus incredibly well on musical theater because I love musical theater. I, however, cannot file a tax return to save my life. And I always thought that it was just that like, oh, it just takes me longer to do uh, what I call like unsexy work or admin work. But it turns out that that's a, a symptom of ADHD. 
And now I know that. And also I am someone who the doctor gave me the option to uh, go on ADHD medication, which I uh, took full on. I was like, yep, give me some of that. That sounds great. <laughs> and uh, I now take ADHD medication, which has certainly helped with my functionality. It doesn't solve all the problems. Pills don't make skills. But it's um, it's helped me so much in such a positive way. So that's my story, man. I have a question for you. After you res uh, uh, got your diagnosis, did you have uh, go through this phase where all of a sudden you saw autism everywhere in everyone? Because that was my experience with ADHD. It's like I I was diagnosed with ADHD. I started to learn and understand what ADHD is and how it presents in real life, like we said, in those moments. And then all of a sudden, everyone I talked to, I was like, you have ADHD and you have ADHD. And you." I wasn't telling them that because <laughs> it's none of my business to. And I, I don't think that's helpful. But immediately, I just saw it. When I, I, I just felt like I saw it everywhere. Oh, definitely, and I, and I think I, yeah, I saw this, and it's and in people I like, that's what it is. People who I get on with, and I think that there's an element of you know you start to see it everywhere, but also it made me realize a lot of the people that I've been drawn to and sort of connected with, um, even like that sort of like musicians and like sort of celebrities that I am interested in, like they clearly have. Those, and I've sort of been interested in them because they have those tendencies. Yeah, 100%. Actually, um, you know what I think we should talk about now in our This Is Our Deal episode is um, some of the uh, terminology around neurodivergency, which is where you thrive, having uh, recently written your book with the beautiful definitions in it. Uh, when does your yeah. book come out? comes out the 19th of May, so it probably won't be out yet when this comes out, but you can pre-order it. There's a, a bookshop, if you're in the UK, there's a bookshop called Pigeon Books. You've got a website, and I'm trying to steer people to them because they're a really cool independent bookshop. They specialise in sort of diverse um, uh, young and children's literature. Um, so if you Google Pigeon Books Portsmouth and buy it from there, I'm going to try and sign all of those copies and you're not giving any money to the evil spaceman. So um, that's where I would recommend people go. Yeah, the uh, terminology, because I think some of this could wait, be a bit wait, alienated. Wait, 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 back up, back up two seconds. We just did a great pitch for your wonderful book. <laughs> Joe Wells, what is the title of your book? Oh, I should say that, yes. <laughs> I it love is... it. You you shout out this amazing bookshop. You're like, go there. Anyway. No. <laughs> Just buy anything from there. They're great. <laughs> the, the the book is called Wired Differently, colon, 30 Neurodivergent People Who You Should Know. Mm. Um, and it's about, it's, it's a young adult book, ostensibly. But I think, I mean, you've read the book. I think that old, not that you're, we're old adults, but adult adults can um, enjoy it too. I think it's a, yeah, I read it in a, as a, as a uh, old adult or <laughs> a millennial, as they say, I found it uh, really lovely to read because it is about um, 30 neurodivergent people. So it's like little biographies of them and uh, and their experience in the world. And it's a uh, it's really lovely, a lovely little book to munch on. And, and if you're someone who can't sit down and read a whole book at one time, it's very easy to read a bit put it down, pick it back up, read a bit more. And uh, it's absolutely lovely. I think you did a great job on it, Joe. Oh, it's thank a you. wonderful book. But I, I laid out the terminology in this book because I think we're, we're talking about quite a new movement, the neurodiversity movement. I think these words are still being worked out. Um, and I think that one thing I think we should definitely say on this podcast is that in 10 years time, we're going to look back on this and go, I can't believe we're using those words in that way. That's completely the wrong terminology. We had it all wrong. I think this is such a, a, a moving conversation. So if you listen to this in 10 years time, I'm sorry for everything that we've said and we take it all back. Yes. <laughs> but, or uh, if you're listening to this uh, five minutes ago, I might have also just said something wrong. <laughs> so let's just bear that in mind. Uh, 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 but yeah, no, 100%. It's, uh, it's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting time to be neurodivergent because there's, like you said, there's this whole movement and there's this whole 
vocabulary around it, which I think is so helpful, but it's ever evolving and it will continue to evolve through time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I watched them. Um, so one of the people I wrote about Stephen Wiltshire, the artist, and there, there's a, a, a very good documentary about him, which is maybe 20 years, maybe a bit older than that. Uh, but it's good. The documentary is called, I hope I remember this right, it's called something like The Foolish Wise Ones or The Wise Fools or something like that. And just it's so dated, even though it's not that old. Um, the, the sort of language that, the, that um, is used to describe Stephen um but so yeah I, th I think things are changing that's what's exciting about it. so he here are some i guess working definitions of the terms that mm -hmm. we might be using so that people have an idea of what we're talking about so we use the term neurodiversity a lot and again this is a term which can mean different things because i think it means at least three things so there's neurodiversity which is the fact there's the fact that people's brains are difference you know Boris Johnson has a different brain to Joey Essex and, and I have a different brain to you all our brains are different it's impossible to deny that you know but people's brains are different uh, neurodiversity could also be a belief so when people say I believe in neurodiversity it's often used to refer to the belief that having different brains is a good thing that it's a good thing for society that we have some people's brains work in different ways so that they can do different jobs and play different roles in society. Um, and it's also a movement. So people talk about the neurodiversity movement, which is the sort of, um, I guess, political social side of this, of, of, of you know, pushing for that belief of um, reframing some uh, diagnosis, not as sort of medical things you have wrong with you, but as differences rather than, um, the, than deficits. Um, so yeah, that, that's what neurodiversity that's a working definition, I think, of neurodiversity, of, of, of what it means. Um, within this movement, they, they've come up with lots of new terms. So there's the two, term neurodivergent, which we have in our podcast title. So neurodivergent means that your brain doesn't work in the way that society might expect it to. So under this umbrella, we might include people who have an autism diagnosis, have an ADHD diagnosis, um, but we might also include some people who don't quite fit diagnosis neatly and I think that's one of the problem with the old model of diagnosis I met someone at a gig once who told me that they were they were told they were two-thirds autistic so there, there's three sort of main um uh criteria for for an autism diagnosis they were told they fit two of the three so they're two-thirds autistic you know what, what what does that mean for that person you know I think that telling someone they're two-thirds autistic is not helpful so neurodivergent as an umbrella term with no one on the edges policing that term. You know, if, if someone wants to come into the, the neurodivergent tribe, then they're welcome. Um, I think that works a lot better for people who maybe don't neatly fit diagnoses. Mm -hmm. um, we use the term neurotypical as well. So this is people who aren't neurodivergent. So um, on average, six out of every, if you have seven people waiting at a bus stop, six of them would be neurotypical. Their brains would work in the way that society expects them to work unless one you work in stand-up comedy then it's the inverse <laughs> the <laughs> it's one yeah. neurotypical person versus six neurodivergent people yeah if it's the bus stop outside the comedy club then it's uh <laughs> the stats are skewed <laughs> yeah <laughs> but okay so to review real quick uh neurodiversity is like is like the universe of brains right so hmm. it is it is all brains so neurodiversity is the acknowledgement that all of our brains are different so when we say neurodiversity we can be referring to a neurotypical brain or a uh a a neurodivergent brain yes yeah it's the whole thing the whole it's the whole thing and neuro tip neurotypical are um are people who have a as quote unquote normal brain um, a brain that the DSM uh, has decided is a high functioning brain for society and a neurodivergent brain like my brain and your brain are the brains that are differently wired by the book. Uh, or wired differently. <laughs> Did I get it backwards? I got it backwards. It's wired differently. Do you know, mo I think more people are getting it backwards. I should have called it differently wired. I'm realizing now, but it's too late. The, the covers have yeah. been printed. No, wired differently is fabulous. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. And we, uh, we need to talk about neurodiverse as well, because that's a term which you hear a lot. And I think one of the things which is worth saying is 
people are going to get this terminology wrong. We're going to have people on the show that maybe use the terminology slightly differently. Mm. I don't. Uh, we can't have our guests on and be telling them off for using the words wrong. So but that being said, Joe Wells is uh, perfectly and has full permission to chime in whenever I use the words wrong. <laughs> I just want to put that out there because when we were uh, talking about doing this podcast uh, before we ever started recording, I told Joe, I was like, uh, maybe you should explain the terminology because you're better at it than me. And Joe was like, well, I don't want to sit there and mansplain uh, <laughs> neurodivergencies to you. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is what we need. We need you to do this for me. <laughs> I'm mansplaining for goods. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so like you said, neurodivergencies is different than neurodivergent, which is a very, this is the bugbear one. This is the one that so is... I think the one that often gets confused is neurodiverse and neurodivergent. So people will say this person is neurodiverse, mm-hmm. um, which isn't strictly when they mean neurodivergent because a person can't be on their own neurodiverse. So a, an example which I've heard made is that people talk about biodiverse. So my garden is biodiverse. There's there's bugs in it and there's uh, uh, birds in it and then there's there's um, plants in it all different types of life forms. The in, An individual beetle is not biodiverse. Um, it's just one thing. But mm. the whole collective thing is, is biodiverse. So strictly speaking, when people say neurodiverse, they should be talking about at least two people. And those two people should have different brains. Um, so an example an would be Joe and me are neurodiverse, but I, Abigail Shaman, am neurodivergent. Yes, yeah. And by coincidence, we are both separately neurodivergent. But even if there was neurotypical people in this call, um, that whole group would be neurodiverse because we're here. Oh, right. Be- okay. If Okay. So here's 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 a bit of a, a conundrum for you. If it if it's the one in seven and it's one neurodivergent person in six neurotypical people. Is it a group of neurodiverse people? Uh, the, it, it's a, the group is neurodiverse. The, the people individually aren't neurodiverse. But yeah, as a group, they are neurodiverse. Yeah, okay. In the same way, if, if I had six woodlice and one worm, that is a biodiverse group of animals, mm-hmm. even though six of them are the same and one of them is different. But as a group, they are biodiverse. Man, I thought I really hit you with a deep philosophical question and you just came back. You're like, nope, this is the answer. (laughs) (laughs) This is how this works. I think that's really helpful to hear and hear verbalized out loud because even as a neurodivergent person, like you said, uh, sometimes I get the terminology wrong. Uh, We might have guests on that might say something that is different to what we're saying now. And I suppose, I mean, like you said, we can't tell people off, but at the same time, it is a conversation about neurodiversity. Like, we can have these conversations on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think I, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because I think sometimes one of the things which I think the, neuro, the neurodiversity movement can not get wrong, but, but can stumble with is I think sometimes we can get very hung up on language. And I think mm. that, I think maybe this is a comic thing. I've always been of the view that what, if, if, if you say something and I understand what you're saying and the point comes across, the, the specific words you're using don't matter too much um, as long as I sort of get the get the idea of it. So I think I try not to get too hung up on it because otherwise you can have, uh, you know, whole loads of conversations about should we, if we're writing this thing, should we say neurodiverse or neurodivergent? Should we say with autism or autistic or so on? And I yeah. think sometimes that um, conversation can um get in the way of actually there's lots of really important conversations about neurodivergent people about how we're supported about how spaces are more inclusive about how um our schools could be different there's all those big conversations and i think that if the language is helping us to have those conversations then that's good and that's exciting and if it's helping us to think differently about those conversations if the language if the language discussion is getting in the way of having those conversations i think it can be unhelpful yeah, actually, that's really smart because that happens. I feel like with any uh, any community, like you see it too in uh, 
the LGBTQ plus community when it's like people get so hung up on the vocabulary, they stop talking about the real, the real meat of what's going on within the community. Uh, but that being said, you did touch on something that I do want to talk about in this first episode because uh, it's it's come up before in our first episode that we recorded and then decided we had to re-record because we were too dry and I was too nervous. <laughs> uh, but uh, the differences in the words of like, uh, I am autistic or I am a person with autism. And as someone with ADHD, I just say I have ADHD because that's the term that I've heard. I don't say I am ADHD. But for me personally, it doesn't matter which one I say. Yeah, and, and I, I I think it's, um, and it's interesting because we don't, there's not, the language doesn't, I wonder how that will evolve with ADHD because at the moment the language seems, it seems clunky, clunky to say this person is ADHD. Um, and I wonder whether like, whether the term neurodivergent will become bigger and that will be more commonly used or how that will evolve. I guess one of the, and particularly in, in autistic, some autistic circles, uh, there are a lot of autistic people who feel very strongly that it should be autistic rather than with autism. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason for that is there's a brilliant essay by Jim Sinclair. I think that's his name. If it's not, then I will edit in me saying the right name now, um, called Don't Mourn For Us, that really talks about this idea. I think this is quite key to the neurodiversity movement. The idea that um, an autistic person or a person with ADHD, they're not a neurotypical person that's had this thing on top of, you know, you, could, you can't cure it, you can't take it away from them. Mm -hmm. But that's the sort of intrinsic part of who they are. So if I am a person with autism, the question might be, well, what would I be like without autism? Mm. Um, to which I would say, well, that, that wouldn't be me at all. That'd be a different person. Um, so I think that's why there's this sort of favoring of, they call it, what's it called? I identity first language, you know, that, that the thing that's at the front is, it's, yeah. it sort of links that identity with you as a person. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I like that way of that. I think that, that there are people who think differently. I, I like that way of thinking because I think that the neurodivergent people who I know, I like that they are neurodivergent. It's just quite linked with who they are uh, as people. And even though there might be um, struggles linked with their neurodivergence, I still think it's part of who they are. Yeah. I, j just to touch real quick back on the vocabulary of it all like I think again relating it back to queerness like uh I, so I'm a uh, bisexual human um uh I might now be considered pan pansexual since my partner uh has now considered himself gender non-interested and goes by pronouns he him or uh they them but uh anyways as a queer person it would be very strange to me if someone was like oh you have bisexuality you are not bisexual but with adhd which by the way if you don't know stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder it's a group of letters so it's it's as like as the english language exists it's very uh it makes more sense linguistically to be like i have adhd than to be like, I am ADHD because the the term for ADHD is a group of letters. It's not a word. Mm. So I I am letters is a weird thing for our head. I don't know. It's just something that as you were talking about it, I was, I was uh, kind of going off into my own head about, which as you said, one of the dear gifts of ADHD, um, I have 20 conversations going on in my head all the time. Uh, I can listen to someone while thinking about something else, uh, while doing my grocery list, while thinking about uh, the email I have to write later. And of course, when we get off this call, I will completely forget about the email. So that's one of the downsides. But I think the the like gift or the like creativity that uh, uh, comes forth from not just ADHD people, but neurodivergent people in general are people who 
where people who were taught that this is the way we have to do things and as we've all gotten older and realized that's not the way that I can function, uh, we find different ways to do them and therefore our lives are um, a lot more creative and uh, interesting because of it. So if we're thinking about ADHD, what causes ADHD basically is um, we do not produce as much dopamine as a neurotypical person in our brains. We're always functioning at a lower dopamine level. So the reason why people with ADHD have hyperfixations where we get like really into one thing or we uh, get super excited to do something or maybe we're always twitchy or we're always uh, fiddling with something is because we're always trying to uh, get that dopamine hit to bring us up to a higher level so we feel better and because of that because of that i move a lot <laughs> you know what i mean like i uh um i think that's one of the reasons why as we were talking before we got into the call like if i had known i had had adhd when i was younger i might have found some coping skills especially as someone who was born in the 80s let's say i was diagnosed as a child so it would have been in the 90s i would have maybe been put learn how to cope with it in a very neurotypical way and tried to fit myself deeper into that box and it's a box that i've struggled to put myself in my entire life and failed but because i failed at it I, uh, I wound up being a stand-up comedian because again, chasing that dopamine, you get no bigger dopamine hit for me than going on stage, saying something funny in front of a live audience and them laughing immediately. That's why I love live performance. I always have. Before I was a stand-up comedian, I wanted to be a Broadway actor. I had no interest in television or movies because you don't get that immediate hit. You're not in the room with people. And that's what I've always loved about live performance. And um, because of ADHD, when everything in New York didn't feel like it was going the way I wanted it for me, uh, as far as like my comedy career and I just had this random opportunity to move to London I just fucking up and moved I just moved my whole life uh, just w without even thinking and and now because of it like I I'm surrounded by friends who I have a friend group like I never really had in New York I have a partner whom I love dearly it turns out all of them neurodivergent coincidence <laughs> I think not um but I think if I had tried to put myself in a neurotypical box earlier on in my life, a lot of that wouldn't have happened. Like, I don't, I, I full on believe I would not be in London today if, mm. I had, if I had taught myself at a young age how to exist in a neurotypical world uh, as a neurotypical, because... As we're talking about the neurodiverse movement, and I'll stop monologuing in a minute, I think what's so special about what's happening in the neurodiverse neurodiversity movement is that we're talking about how we're different and how we exist differently. Whereas I think when we're talking about you uh, possibly getting your Asperger's diagnosis at, at 12, or like let's say that doctor when I was... Uh, nine realized I did have ADHD it wasn't about going you you are autistic I am ADHD we are different in our brain so therefore let's focus on these tasks and this way of living that will um that they will excel at it was like okay so let's find all of these coping mechanisms so we can put them in the box mm. of of a neurotypical person let's teach this autistic person to be neurotypical let's teach this adhd person to be neurotypical as opposed to going this person has adhd this person has uh, excuse me is autistic ergo they are going to live their lives this way 
as opposed to the way we've all been, I don't know, taught to live our lives or expected to live our lives. Yeah, I think that that was like one of the, and I guess that for sort of newly diagnosed people, that is the thing I think which they need to need to hear is like, mm. you're not like you you will make a rubbish neurotypical person, but you are potentially a brilliant autistic or person of ADHD, you're, or you're potentially a brilliant neurodivergent person. And I think if if you try to sort of um, to pretend to to box yourself into and pretend to be neurotypical, then you're you're probably gonna fail at that. And I think that sort of happiness and success, whatever that means, to some for neurodivergent people, I think has to come from being who you are um when i wrote the book all i think pretty much everyone in the book who um you know the successful things they've done it's not in spite of them being different it's because they're different yeah that, that's what they've achieved that's beautiful man that's beautiful that's <laughs> fucking gorgeous i think that's a good note to end on joe I think yes. this is a, I think we, I think this is a great first episode recorded for the second time. Hey, Abigail, do you know about Podspike? You mean our uh, sponsor? I absolutely know about Podspike. I'm a big fan. I imagine there are lots of budding podcasters who listen to our show. We have a lot of neurodivergent people, a lot of people with special interests. They might want to have a podcast for their very specific special interests. That's what I love about podcasts. You can have your um, IKEA table podcast specifically about the different tables they sell at IKEA. How bad am I improv? I just looked around my room and that was the first thing I saw. <laughs> listen, everybody I feel like would listen to needs an IKEA podcast in their life simply because no one help, knows how to put together the freaking furniture. <laughs> and... Yeah, flat pack, how to flat pack podcast. Oh my God, that's a good idea for a podcast. I don't have the time to do it. But if you're thinking of the flat pack podcast where Go different guests make flat pack furniture, that'd be and... brilliant. You can use Podspike to reach listeners all over the world without costing you the earth. Usually PR costs, costs millions and millions of, of pounds, but this is they, they make it affordable. That's what I like about Podspike. And they can do all sorts of things like they can help you optimize the number of clicks you get and help you improve your artwork. They can put a spotlight on your show to feature it in popular newsletters so it gets out more. And they can get you more listeners with high recommendation spots on different podcast apps. Surely some of the followers they would get you will be fake followers, though. No, absolutely not. In fact, there are no fake followers, no complicated strategy, and most importantly, no minimum commitment. So you do not have to sign up for a long time. You can sign up for little bits and chunks, see what works for you, and make adjustments as you go. For more information, go to podspike.com. At the end of every podcast, uh, here forth, we're going to read out neurodivergent moments from you, our audience. We don't have any yet uh, because this is our first record. So uh, Joe and I are going to share ours with you. But if you would like to get in touch and share your neurodivergent moments with Joe and I to read out loud on the podcast, you can either get in touch with us through our social medias and slide into our DMs. Or you can email us at neurodivergentmoments, with an S, pod, at gmail.com. Just those little moments in your life where you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm I'm different. Uh, do you want to give yours first, Joe? Uh, well, I, I have one watching your TikTok about um, <laughs> being neurodivergent and how you didn't realize um, you didn't realize that you were. And I watched it over and over again. And I, I think your TikToks are brilliant. I like them a lot. They're very funny. But I 
I didn't get this one. And I kept watching it over and over again before I realized that every cupboard in your kitchen is open. And that's that because every cupboard is always open in my kitchen. So I just, <laughs> I just thought that's what kitchens look like. I thought, I don't get this at all. Um, yeah, never occurred to me. And living with someone who has ADHD, that yeah, cupboards are just open, open all the time. Oh, that's a huge symptom that, again, I didn't know it was a symptom. And going back to, I, again, I'm very careful not to tell other people they have ADHD, except my mother. She definitely has it. <laughs> and I remember one time one of my uncles came to visit and my mother was like all flustered. And she was like, I'm so sorry. The house is such a mess. The house is such a mess. The house is such a mess. And her brother was like, I'll fix it for you. And just went around her kitchen and shut every cupboard door because they were all open and she was like oh that's better and now i do that as an adult i just they're open all the time we we had where we used to live had quite high covers as well so my wife would often injure herself on the cupboard doors so was, yeah i don't think we need cupboard doors i think that they are ableist oppression i think that um we should get rid of them No, What see, are they, I, what's their purpose? I, I'm sorry, I disagree because as someone who is always trying, to, who functions better without clutter, but can't not make clutter, I need to, I need to put all the clutter in a cupboard and then just shut the cupboard and then I pretend it's not there. Oh, I see outside of mine. disappeared. <laughs> what is your neurodivergent moment of the week? Okay. So the other day I went to the shop to pick up some uh, food and such. And a couple hours later, I couldn't find my tampons anywhere. And I was like, I just bought them. Why aren't they in the cupboard with the door closed? Uh, why aren't they where I put them? Where did I put these tampons? I know I bought tampons. I need tampons. Where are my tampons? And I had put them in the refrigerator. <laughs> how, long, how long did it take for you to find out? Um, it took me about a half hour to find them, and I think they oh, okay. had been in the fridge for like, uh, well, you know, morning to afternoon. They had been. They, it was. Oh, so the a, fridge had been used. Oh, oh no, they were in the refrigerator. So a, an unopened box of tampons were in the refrigerator, next to the milk and the yogurt. But you or Tom had gone into the um into the fridge in that time, is what I'm saying. Well, I hadn't, or maybe I had and I hadn't realized it. Tom had. And when I finally was like, pulled my tampons out of the fridge, Tom just kind of looked at me like he was just like, I don't know. Sometimes you just put things in sp weird places and I don't know why. So I just accepted you needed your tampons in the fridge for some reason. <laughs> like he was just like, well, you know, sometimes she does this. <laughs> I thought that's what I would do as well. I... Because I, I, I suppose I, as like a, a liberal man, but we weren't taught about periods at school. Boy, you know, they'd take the boys in a separate room. So like, I know that, um, you know, I, I, uh, that I feel like I, I should have an understanding of them, but I, I shamefully don't have enough understanding of periods. So I think I would see that and go, that's probably something that they didn't teach me at school. I won't question it. They're meant to be kept <laughs> yeah. in the fridge, maybe. <laughs> I think that was what Tom is like. He was like, I don't know, mate, it, it, it's, I know very little about these, so I'll just I don't want to appear on some sort of group where it's like, my boyfriend didn't know that, that <laughs> tampons were meant to go in the fridge. What an idiot. <laughs> well, let me tell you, it was an exhilarating experience. And on a very warm day, I wouldn't rule it out, ladies. Um. <laughs> uh, so that is our first episode. I will say at the end of this, because you, uh, your neurodivergent moment so sweetly uh, was about my own TikTok. I will uh, pin that to the top of my profile by the time this comes out. If you want to see what Joe is talking about, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Abigailia. And Joe, where can they find you on the socials? I am at Joe Wells comic on most of them, apart from Instagram, where I'm Joe Wells comedian, because I had Joe Wells comic, but I locked myself out of it by mistake, and I don't know how to get back in again. <laughs> Neurodivergent moment number two. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and also, more importantly, right now than following us on our socials, um, this is our first episode, so please hit the subscribe button and maybe leave a good review. We've got some great episodes coming out. We're super excited about sharing them with you. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in a fortnight.
See you in a fortnight, or two weeks for those of you who don't know what that means, which I didn't until I moved to Britain.